Hey everyone, welcome to episode 178 of 15 with Andy, Randy, and Zed. This week we're lucky enough to have just the three of us, but not the three you were expecting, probably. And a very special welcome to our first-time guest to the podcast, Zed Stefanovic. He's a member here at the Hospital Church and also a professor of religion at Advent Health University. Is that right? That is correct. I was hoping I had the most recent page when I looked (laughs) that up. So welcome to the podcast. Thank Thank you you for taking time out to be here. We're going to skip our typical mini review from last week, but of course, you can always go back and find any of those, hospitalchurch.org slash podcast, Apple, Google, Spreaker, Spotify, you can find them all there. All right. It's all come down to this. We've had, was this five or six weeks? Oh, I think it was actually six. I think this was the sixth installment. And we've taken some of our most beloved, cherished, and apparently misused Bible text, and some of them we flipped completely upside down in some cases. Today, the final assault comes in the form of a text from the Sermon on the Mount, beginning in Matthew 7, 1. And when I first thought about this and I saw what your topic was going to be, and I thought, now what can we possibly be missing or misusing <laughs> with a passage about something so seemingly simple and straightforward? Said, what, what would we be missing or how would we be misusing this text or these, what was it, five texts or five <laughs> verses? They seem pretty straightforward, don't they? Apparently, some people um, have taken those words to mean that we are not to make any critical judgment on any person or anything that happens around us. So we are not allowed to express our opinion, to correct the person. If I have a friend or a spouse and I feel that they could make Mm. some use of my correction, they may uh, not see what I see and I can help them. But because just because Jesus says, do not judge, then we abstain from all of that. I think there's a lot of people that could use my insight into their problems. Don't you, don't you think I thought I was like, mate, cause that's how I initially thought about it. I'm like, well, doesn't everybody just, you know, open their mouth and say things like me, or is that just reserved? But I can see where that comes from, where we would almost look at that and say, no, no, we, we shouldn't do that. We should just not say anything. Well, especially in our culture today with tolerance being this God of many, that this is used as ammo, uh, oh, yeah. Don't, yeah. Don't, don't speak back. Don't challenge because then you'll be judging and Jesus says don't judge. So that's that's problematic. So what's the difference then? How do we toe that line where we're going to speak up because we see something that we think that we could help with? Or I mean, this could be some pretty tricky gray areas, isn't there? I believe a good starting point would be that we ask ourselves when we look at something or someone and we are ready to say, to make a comment, mm-hmm. to ask why we are doing this and uh, how we are going to do it. Sometimes it's more important than what we do <laughs> and also Ooh. how far we go. That's good advice. So those right are there. like two or three questions to begin with yeah. that we need to deal with. Am I doing it so that I can show my superiority or yeah. and my knowledge base or my rightness? Yeah. Or am I really doing it to try to benefit the other person and the service to them? Those are those are polar opposites, really. All right. So, well, this just popped into my head then. So what if we do see something, but honestly, maybe we don't have the, maybe our relationship with that person doesn't allow us to maybe speak to them. And like you said, if we're not doing it for the right reason, or maybe we just don't know how to approach it appropriately so that it comes off the way we intend it, so that it comes off as loving and as non-judgmental and how do we go about that if we not if we're not really sure how to do it do we get somebody else involved do we just not say anything and figure well maybe we'll just pray for them maybe that'll maybe that'll help 
We are discussing about a verse that comes from one of the best examples that Jesus was a wise teacher or teacher of wisdom. So uh, a good advice would be here that if we lack wisdom in this regard, it's good to check with somebody else and say, how would you approach it and so on. Maybe I can speak from my personal experience. Absolutely. For uh, years, I've been working in uh, educational structures. And whenever possible, I tried to show a spirit of um, constructive contribution to that institution and or to the people who were my supervisors and so on. And I, I have noticed that sometimes damage would be done if somebody in front of an audience tried to Im- intimidate a person of authority and so on. Mm. I believe there is a better way when there is a leader and he's alone in the office. And, and if I go there and I have a little chat with him and say, I do have an insight or an idea, uh, is it okay that I share with you? Mm. Will we still be friends? And because I'm here to help this institution, you know, to to grow and so on. And I have noticed something, you know, is it safe that I share this yeah. insight with you? Most of the time, people were welcoming that and it worked. I always. like that. Rather than, let's say, there is a meeting on a completely different topic. And if I uh, stood up and in a harsh way, <laughs> judgmental way, yeah. described what I disagree with. Yeah. I like that because you're almost disarming that person by saying, I'm coming in peace. Yeah. And can we still be friends? Would it be okay if I spoke to you about something that's I see? And also, Zed said, in, in the spirit of, I want to make this place better. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, so that it's not even necessary about making that person better. Yeah. It's we're, we serve the same institution and I want to help make the place as good as I can. And this is something I've noticed kind of thing. And that way that it's, it feels less like a personal, a personal attack as well. It's like, yeah. okay, we're, we're coaching for the betterment of the, of the corporation, institution, the company, whatever it is. Yeah. Well, and I assumed that when we get into judging, then eventually this conversation is going to have to take the turn about if we're going to judge others, then of course it always seems to make that turn to God's judgment of us, right? Because it's that just seems where it has to go, which as rightly as you pointed out at minimum, it makes us a tad bit nervous when we start talking about God's judgment of us. But I immediately went from tad bit nervous to a bit terrified when this whole God lets us choose the standard for our judgment, but the choosing is a direct reflection on how I've treated others. And I'm sure I should have drawn this conclusion on my own at some point, but I really hadn't in the way that you presented it. And the way you presented it made it much more um, real, much more tangible right in front of your face. That idea really packs a punch if you stop to think about that. Tell me more about about how you came to that realization through this message. Traditionally, people view God's judgment as an evaluation of what we have done in our lives in the light, let's say, of the principles like the Ten Commandments. Mm. And that's frightening, except that very often what we find in the Ten Commandments is not always expressed in the best positive way. Mm. So Jesus is trying to portray it in a far more practical way. And saying, it's not just the Ten Commandments, but how do we relate to others in the light of the Ten Principles found in the Commandments? By the way, I'm not a lover of the term commandment. I would rather call that the Ten Commitments. Commitments are far better 
terms to be used for the principles that God revealed himself. And in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah in Hebrew, they are called the Ten Words of God. They are not even called the Ten Commandments. That You just answered my question. So I'm like, well, I mean, is that, you know, maybe we should just, <laughs> maybe we should start adopting that and just uh, start calling in the Ten Commitments. As long as we're not, you know, going against what the Bible calls them, I, I'm, I'm down with that. I like that. Some people consider it unfortunate that there was a, um, that movement away from commitment to commandment. Hmm. And uh, commitments are far better for relationships than commandments. <laughs> Any type of relationship. Yeah. <laughs> Based on commandments. Yeah, uh, I've never heard them call, I've never heard them yeah. refer to as Would the be based on fear. Yeah. And yet the covenant that is time and again described in the Old Testament was supposed to be the covenant of chesed, which is loving kindness. Ooh. Yeah. So those commandments you've given your wife, Randy, are uh, yeah. changing the <laughs> start, talking, start calling them commitments. commitments. And I'm, that's good. That's good. The stories of the, of Simon the Pharisee and the 10 lepers initially seemed like odd choices. I'm like, all right, where's he going with this? They really provide a great insight into the way Jesus led by example. And I, I think in maybe in those stories and in maybe a lot of Jesus' parables, I think sometimes we forget that he's teaching and he's doing these things in his in his own life, in his own ministry and leading by example, further illustrating this need, as you said early on, about not just snacking on the Bible, but that we really have to take the time to make a full meal and just really study it. Of course, Jesus can practice what he preaches here and doesn't condemn attitudes and situations that are really ripe for correction. After realizing that Jesus uses only the story as his correction, I stopped to think of how I might have handled the situation. And I'm pretty sure I would have included a strong and perhaps tersely worded correction and the defense of the woman that washed Jesus' feet, which likely would have only caused uncomfortable escalation, zero reflection from Simon. That seems like a trite question, but how do we approach ourselves to practice or be better at not condemning and criticizing? Because I look at that story and I'm going like, I totally, I totally would have missed the boat if had I been sitting there. But yet Jesus so brilliantly is just like, he diffuses the situation. Like you just talked about, it wasn't a personal, like full frontal attack. Like, how dare you? But rather a story. And I don't know that any of us are good. I mean, can we still tell a decent enough story? Are we good at parables? I don't know. How do we take that framework that Jesus just showed us there and that you brought up so vividly? How do we apply that to us in today's society? Whatever we do and telling a short story, I believe is one of the best ways of doing it. We need to keep in mind, and, and that's something that Jesus knew very well, that whenever it comes to correction, any type of correction, our pride comes mm. through. Yeah. And we may realize that what the person who is correcting us is doing is right, but simply because of our pride, we may refuse to learn anything mm. from it. This way, Jesus tried not to hurt the feeling of the person, still wanted to have him on board, and that's why he proceed, proceeded in a very careful way and didn't want Simon's pride to prevent him from learning a lesson from him. Mm-hmm. It's, I like that. Yeah, it is interesting mm. that it allows Simon to sort of condemn himself in the end, which, you know, if, if I'm owning it, it's a whole different thing than if somebody else is doing it to me. Hmm. You know, I wish these kinds of stories or these these little short snippets that we have of Jesus and in this instance, and to find out later, like in the Bible, wouldn't it be great to find out like Simon 
took it to heart and he <laughs> became a different man or, or his attitude on this. And he was one of God's great warriors from then on or something, you know, almost like it, we need that. It seems like we sometimes need that ending. The rest of the story. The, the rest of the story to convince ourselves that this is worth doing. And I just feel like sometimes we miss that, but I like how you mentioned that your students believing that we criticize and condemn because of our own insecurities. And I was like, Ooh, but given that we seem to have an abundance of perceived or real shortcomings in our lives, do we really stand a chance in a quest to become less critical of others? It just seems like there's from political shows to sports shows to anything in the media and around us. And even sometimes in church, everything seems to be, we can find the negative and we can warn about it, like in some kind of almost a positive spin, but almost like we're always leading with the negative or the critical. Is it really that we're that insecure (laughs) or is there another way we should be looking at how we do Bible study, how we interact with each other that could maybe start us off on a little more positive note to get started? Not everybody has to agree with what I'm about to say, but um, I I will tell you what I think. If in this church of ours, uh, there are two members uh, that I very often interact with when I come to church, and uh, we talk about contemporary issues, and one member gets a little angry and tends to be harsh and uses very harsh words to describe persons or events around. That's one way way to approach things. And then there may be another church member that I do the same thing. And that person listens to me. He says something and half the humorous comments on it. Mm -hmm. Between the two, if I were to spend the rest of my life on an island with just one human being, I would choose the second one <laughs> that will use humor as spice, yeah. humor as spice, and, yeah. and say something meaningful. And the ancient wisdom was to condense it in the shortest possible way, you know, and, and just comment about it, knowing that we all have shortcomings, but we do recognize that this is not helpful, and so on. I believe my choice would be to feel a little closer. And after many years when all what's right now in the headlines will be behind us, past, mm-hmm. and so yeah. on, I'll probably remember better and also have fond memories of the person who used a little of humor. We noticed mm-hmm. it. We are not blind. We are not um, also uh, speechless without words. Uh, we do make comments and so on. But then again, we wonder how to do it, yeah. what would be the best way, because negative spirit somehow is opposite of perfume, and we may not, not enjoy that type of toxic atmosphere that we sometimes call, but humor tends to be closer to perfume, yeah. and we like yeah. when you know things are attractive, where we feel more comfortable, and yet at the same time, you know, we are commenting reasonably on what's going on. I think that's really key. And we talked about it here before in in the podcast is that I think if we can keep in touch with our own human depravity, (laughs) here I go again. Yeah, no, for sure. (laughs) But if we're in touch with our own human depravity, I think it it creates a a better graciousness in us toward others because we recognize, okay, I don't like that or I see something that I could easily condemn, but I don't condemn it because I recognize that that could be me uh, just with a little bit different angle. And so I, I think one of the powerful things in the sermon this week was moving that word from judgment to condemn, condemnation. Yeah, because yeah, that's really, really key for me. Because yeah. 
judgment, you, you're sort of like making a call. Yeah. Condemning, you're just putting it down. And yeah. so it feels totally different. Well, and I don't think any of us have a shortage of toxic environments that we have, <laughs> whether it's the coworker that we can't get away from or, you know, maybe it's, you know, the neighbor or someone like maybe someone at church. I mean, it could be anywhere. Mm-hmm. And anything that you choose to ingest as far as media goes, I don't think there's any shortage there. But I don't think we often look at ourselves and think we're the ones that are creating the toxic environments. Because if you just listen to me and agree with me, you'd realize that this isn't toxic, that I'm right. And your life would be so much better if only you understood what I was trying to tell you in the way that I'm trying to tell you. So I think you're right. I think maybe it just starts there and just realize maybe if we just approach everything with a few more smiles, maybe a little bit more humor. and uh, Humility goes a long way. Think about what's going to be the lasting impression is. What am I going to think about when all this stuff has gone away? What am I going to remember and what am I going to remember about that person? Mm -hmm. And I think you're right. I think that's a big deal. I believe that a few Sabbaths ago, you, Pastor Andy, mentioned the ABC News in the evening Mm -hmm. evening, uh, broadcast and how at the end, you know, after you watch most of the news that are really depressing, quite <laughs> yes, often, right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if yeah. we are to be honest. Absolutely. But then at the end, you know, uh, David Muir and others, they have something to cheer you up, yeah. to make you proud of the place where you live, whether it's the United States of America or uh, in our world, someone is making a difference and so on. And that does make a difference that yeah. the news will end with something that will inspire yeah. you. Push in the right direction. Even if you have to do something that's maybe a little uncomfortable, try to finish it off with at least a smile and like even maybe, (laughs) hey, I hope that didn't offend you. It it certainly wasn't my intention or just like you said, a little smile, a little kindness, I think might be a nice way to finish it off. Non-condemnatory. Is that a word? (laughs) Non-condemnatory. It is now. (laughs) (laughs) But not condemning the person. Yeah. And really thinking about that clearly in our heads so that we're looking for, even if it's a negative thing, how to present it, as Zed said, to a co-worker to a even to a boss yeah. in a way that is helpful and the difference between doing that was you said well, i go privately where there's no embarrassment for the other person yeah. uh, is very different than doing it in a group setting where you're calling somebody out so to just be really careful and not to be unfaithful to it don't don't know right. nothing's getting swept yeah. under the carpet but to make it more tasteful I guess. <laughs> I've enjoyed that about that this series because a lot of what we've talked about have come in these realizations. I know you brought it up and I think Jeff did as well and in your message how we've really realized that Jesus wasn't just speak to say that he wasn't condemning to these people. Mm-hmm. He was just showing them the right way to do things very gently and very lovingly and then sending them on their way. And I think maybe if there's one thing that we could all take out of this series was just a need to be a little bit more soft and gentle with all of this stuff, especially with people. Because when you put yourself on the other side and realize, oh, someone's looking at me as a Christian going, how are you going to deal with me? And then what are they going to remember five or 10 years from now? Like, oh, yeah, that was that Christian guy that just really let me have it instead of, you know. I was a little upset at the time, but he was nice. He obviously cared. And that was what he left with me was that taste in my mouth, Mm -hmm. planting seeds for the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And Randy, I also wanted to comment in regard to the fact it is a little um, frustrating that we do not hear Simon the leper you know, giving an answer to Jesus at the end of the whole yeah, uh, yeah. episode. But it is true, on the other hand, that we do find even some of the parables of Jesus. We wish we knew yeah. whether the older brother 
listened to the father and came into the banquet. <laughs> yes, home. yeah. So these episodes, if we can call them these stories, we said that they are left open-ended. Yeah. So that I would think and say, well, that lady was ostracized because of moral issues. Well, there was a time when Simon, because of his physical appearance, mm-hmm. he was also ostracized. So they were on the same level. Mm. And uh, am I not sometimes a little like Simon? What would I do? So in the end, we don't know what Simon did, but we can still say, what would I do? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, I I think you're right. I think in a way that we sometimes wish that we just had – a little bit more. I know last year when we were going through Christmas time and it was like, you know, you talk about the birth of Jesus and then it's all of a sudden, well, there's his earthly ministry. What happened to everything in between? Wouldn't it be great to know a little bit more about, you know, the person he was and the things that he went through as a seventh grader. Right. Yeah. Right. But, but you know, but, but you're right in the end when we're putting this all together and I think it continues to make us go back and kind of to what this whole message series has been about is to go back and read the Bible, not in verses, like you said, but digest portions of it and and really try to understand what God is trying to tell us now and when it was written and the context. So this has really been a really good series for anyone that's been trying to figure out how do we make sure that we're doing things the way we should or the way God wants, maybe just us as individuals, maybe not as, right. even talking about everyone, yeah. but just what does he want from me? And if I'm not reading and I'm not, I'm not studying, I'm not going to know. I love Zed's understanding of when a person says, well, the Bible says this, is the question, well, does a verse in the Bible say this or does the Bible say, say this? <laughs> I like it. All right. Well, this week, one of our FHE takeaways asked a pretty simple question. Was Jesus too easy on sinners? And I'll go full disclosure here. When I began listening to Zed's message and before I'd seen the question, I was thinking that Jesus let Simon off the hook pretty easy with that response <laughs> and that little story. And then after I thought about it, I'm like, maybe that's where all of our criticizing begins when we see grace extended to someone who we don't think deserves it as much as we (laughs) we do, or maybe they got too much grace. All right, you can correct him, but he was a little too easy. He could have made that smart just a little bit and still maybe been nice about it. Want them to suffer a little. Yeah, we all want them to suffer (laughs) a little bit. So As long as it is done for them. them. Yeah, Yeah. not not for us. Yeah, be easy on me, Whenever it's done for us, it's not too easy. (laughs) So what do you think about that? Was Jesus too easy on sinners? Let us know. Voicemail text 407-965-1607 or podcast at hospitalchurch.org. All right. Our final thoughts are from a quote from Barbara Brown Taylor's book, Holy Envy. Mm. This was near the end of Zed's message that I think uniquely and accurately summarizes the underlying premise of the entire series. It says, this is one of the reasons I remain a devout student of the Bible, because what it says is so often not what I've been taught it says, (laughs) or what I think it says, or what I want it to say. Scripture has its own voice, sometimes more terrible than wonderful, but it has never failed to reward my close attention, either with a fresh hearing or with a loud slamming of a door that tells me to come back later. The Bible is bigger than I am. Ooh, the Bible is bigger than I am. It does not care what I like. It preceded me by millennia and will likely still be around when my civilization returns to dust. Now hit rewind and let those words play and really sink in as a premise for how you view the Bible in your life and how you wish it it would shape you. I rewound this message online multiple times to listen to Zed's reading and found it to be increasingly inspiring each and every time. 
you may want to do the same and go to the online because his voice gives you that book on tape type of atmosphere <laughs> with the with his voice and that's kind of atmosphere that I just don't possess. So you might want to try that. So sadly, we leave this message series in the rearview mirror, Andy. <laughs> New beginnings. Yeah, new beginnings. Well, what are we up against now? We have a three-part series uh, starting this Sabbath, all presented okay. by Richard Hickam, our minister of music. Oh, is that that's? Oh, uh, I thought that was later, but nope, that's, that's just all right. Up. Um, oh, this will be good. Stories. Uh, what is it called? Story, stories <laughs> of musical faith or something. <laughs> I'm close. Um, but uh, this week will be about David and the Ooh. Psalms, and we'll, we'll actually have a. Um, Sung scripture reading. It'll, we'll have nice. a, it'll be a very interesting. Next week, the, the week after that, I know we're going to be pulling the hymnals out and putting them back out, and so Ooh. we can do some journey through some hymns out of the hymnal. Nice. And then the last week of a series will be a it's ancient and new, showing the journey of music a little bit and what God nice. wants us to be singing a new song. I think. So. Well, Richard, if you're listening, I need to get on your calendar for Mondays for the next three <laughs> to get you on the podcast. Then that's right. And so, Zed, thank you so much for your message and for taking the time to come over and be with us this afternoon. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. All right, that's going to do it for this week. Next Wednesday, join us again, episode 179. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. <laughs>